Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through to verse 37. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole bird offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Righto. Uh, in the Bible, there's four different Gospels, as you probably know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all record the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And subsequently, a lot of people sort of think, okay, if I've read one Gospel, I've read them all. No, they're all different to each other. That The Gospel of John is very different to the others, but even when you get to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're quite similar but still different. They're called the synoptic gospels, coming from the Latin synopticus, which means seen together. They're so similar, they're seen together. And you've probably noticed that as you've read the Bible, that some sections of Matthew, Mark and Luke are almost identical. See, plagiarism wasn't really a no-no back then. And so if a gospel writer agreed with something that somebody else had already written, uh, they had no qualms at all about copying that into the gospel that they were writing. But even though they were similar, they are similar, there are differences between each of these gospels which makes each gospel unique. Each gospel has its own message. And the message that Matthew will highlight from any particular event may very well be quite different from the message that Mark highlights from exactly the same event. They're not in opposition to each other, they're just highlighting different things. And some people try to discredit Christianity because they see these differences in the Gospels and they go, oh, look, there you go, there's proof, it's all a load of rubbish, they can't be trusted, they can't even get their stories straight, they don't agree with each other, it can't be true. But it's actually the other way around. Those who are trained in, in assessing evidence of any kind know very well that, that if eyewitnesses all agree with each other in every single little detail, well, that's a pretty good sign that they're making it up and they've got together and they've colluded to try and keep their story straight. But when genuine witnesses all observe the same thing, 
they always remember it in slightly different ways. And so we would expect the Gospels to have slight differences, and they do. Now, Matthew, Mark and Luke all record this interaction that we just read about today. And most of us will have heard it preached on many times um, because it comes in the three different Gospels. So whenever we hear somebody preaching through the Gospels, we'll always hear this story. And it's also something that we preachers like to preach on. Why wouldn't we? It's really important stuff. As Matthew records, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. But while what Jesus said is essentially the same in each of the Gospels and the key message remains unchanged, Mark's perspective and therefore the lesson that we learn from Mark can be quite different to what we learn from Matthew and Luke. Now, I want you to also remember that Mark and Luke weren't there in person. Neither Mark nor Luke were one of the original 12 disciples. You know, if you ask somebody to list the 12 disciples, often people will start listing off, well, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they were obviously... No, they weren't. Matthew was one of the disciples, John was one of the disciples, but not Mark and Luke. Um, what they did was they collated stories from people who were there. See, not everybody could read and write back then. And in the case of Mark, tradition has it that he based most of his writings on what Peter remembered and what Peter told him. But of course, we don't know this for certain. I'm just thankful that there was someone who was willing to record the testimony of those who had seen it. And they were willing to record the testimony of, of what they had heard Jesus say. And because somebody was willing to write it down for us, we've still got it some 2,000 years later. Now, Sunday school's happening out the back if you want to go, Jeremy. So, what's the difference? Well, from the perspective of Matthew and Luke... They saw this interaction between Jesus and the scribe as another attempt to test Jesus. It was another attempt to try and catch Jesus out and, and find something against him, something they could, they could pin on him as evidence that he wasn't a good guy. But Mark saw something different. Now, we're in a section of Mark where Jesus has been getting hammered. He's been getting hammered by the religious leaders and they're just testing him and trying to catch him out. And it just goes on and on and on. Uh, from chapter 11, verse 27, through to chapter 12, verse 12, it's the chief priests, the scribes and the elders who are having a go at him. And then from verses 13 to 17, it's the Pharisees and the Herodians who are having a go at him. And then from verses 18 to 27, it's the Sadducees that's having a go at him. They just keep coming. But now, in verse 28, we find one solitary scribe. And the way Mark describes it is this bloke is somebody who, who saw the interaction between Jesus and the Sadducees, and he's impressed. Um, he saw the way Jesus handled himself, and he liked it. And so he asks Jesus, in a non-antagonistic way, which commandment is the most important of all? And from the way the discussion unfolds, I'm pretty sure that this man 
is looking for a summary of the law. He, he's wanting to know the spirit of the law. Now, in the kid's story before, Mrs. B talked about, asked how many commandments were there given at Mount Sinai, and of course the answer was 10. But when you actually go through the book of the law, right, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible there, apparently there's 613 separate commandments. And um, so I don't think that this bloke was wanting to know, okay, which one of those 613 commandments is the most important one compared to the other 612? What he's wanting to know is the spirit of the law. And that's actually a godly thing, to want to know the spirit of the law. Can you imagine if we had to try and remember all of those individual laws? Okay, I can't do this and I can't do that and I must do this and I must do that. Isn't it much easier to just know the spirit of the law? And as we live by the spirit, we know we're going to satisfy all of those commandments. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. He says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. That's, that's the way God wants us to live. Yes, live by faith, but, but having the ability to live by faith because we're living by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit lives in our heart, he builds us into a people who understand the spirit of the law. The actual spirit of the law becomes a part of us. It's written on our hearts. And Jesus' reply ticks this box. It reveals the spirit of the law. It reveals a summary of the law. Now, there, there was nothing new and, and nothing novel in Jesus' answer. In fact, he began by quoting the Shema. The Shema was a sentence which was quoted at the beginning of every single worship, at, worship service at the synagogue. Shema is the Hebrew word for here. And it's the first word of the Shema, hence its name. And the Shema clearly states that there is one God and one God only, Yahweh. So the Shema is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Let me read it for you. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, of course, at the time of Jesus, they would never use God's personal name, Yahweh. Um, they were afraid that if they said it in the wrong way, they might say it in vain. And in fact, it was pretty much assumed that if you said it at all, you couldn't possibly say it in a holy enough way that you would say God's personal name properly. So if anybody said God's personal name, they'd take them outside of the city and stone them, kill them. And so at the synagogue, they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, I've told you this before, 
Uh, but I'm going to tell you again because there may be some new people listening to this. There may be some new people listening on the podcast who haven't heard this before. I've said it a number of times, but it's worth repeating. You might be reading along in your own Bible and wondering why your Bible says the Lord, but when I've read it, I've said Yahweh. That's because in the Old Testament of your Bible and in the Old Testament of my Bible, whenever we see the word the Lord and Lord is written in all capitals or whenever we see the word God written in all capitals, in the, the actual Hebrew word is God's personal name, Yahweh. Well, actually, we only have the tetragram, the, the four consonants. We don't get the vowels, so we don't know exactly what it says. But the tetragram of, of Yod, Hey, Wow, Hey, which looks like a YHWH for us. Now, whenever you see it written in, in, with a capital L, little O-R-D, the actual Hebrew word is Adonai, which means Lord. But whenever you see it in all capitals, the actual Hebrew word is God's personal name, Yahweh. And we don't need to be afraid to say it. Uh, now, if you don't believe me about this, um, please, and even if you do believe me, when you go home, open up your Bibles, turn to the front of your Bible, and, and you'll see some translation notes there, or maybe in the preface, and, you, and your Bible will actually explain to you the convention that they use to show God's personal name. And it's really important we know this because for some people, the Lord, oh, that can just represent any old God. No, it can't. See, we live in an era where people want to believe that all different religions all worship the same God. We don't. They have different names. In our scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it, it won't have a bar of that. We cannot possibly ever consider that the Lord could, re be, could be referring to any other God. It doesn't refer to Buddha. It doesn't refer to Allah. It doesn't refer to Zeus or whichever God you choose to make. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love who? Any old God? No, you shall love Yahweh, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And some people, they sort of think, oh, you Christians, you are so exclusive. No, it's not that we're exclusive. We worship all true gods, every single one of them. Guess how many there are? One. There is one true God. Yahweh is his name, and he is one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is one. And we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul and all of our might. Why is it him that we worship? Because he's the only one. Every other God is false, a fake, a demon. All right, so when Jesus was asked which commandment is greatest, he actually began by identifying which God gives the commandments, right? You're asking which commandments are greatest? Well, I'll tell you which God it is for a start. So therefore, he identified which God gives the commandments, which God we worship, and which God we obey. 
Yahweh, the Lord, the only one true God. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, we could spend the next 30 minutes analysing each of those words in the Greek. We could look at cardias for heart and psyche for soul and dianoias for mind and ischios for strength. We, we could spend 30 minutes talking about each of those individual words. Actually, we could probably have a sermon each week for the next four weeks. We could have a message next week on loving the Lord our God with all our heart. The week after that, we could have a message on, on loving the Lord our God with all our soul. And then the following week, we could do a message on loving the Lord our God with all of our mind. And then the following week, we could have a message on loving the Lord our God with all of our strength. Or we could just agree with each other that when you put all four of those together, it means to love the Lord our God with every part of our being, with everything that is us. There's nothing left out there. Worship him with every fibre of your being, every part of your life, everything you think, feel, do and say. Love God with, with all of it. See, God doesn't want us to just be affectionate toward him. He doesn't want us to just have a preference for him. He doesn't want us to just have a soft spot for him. He wants us to love him with every part of our being. That's the first and greatest commandment. And everything else follows. Yes, a lot of people like to think, yeah, the reason I don't go to church and I actually don't need God. I actually don't need a saviour because I live a good life and I just live by the spirit of the Lord, you know. Love my neighbour as myself, that's what I do. Really? They've just missed the most important commandment. To love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind and all of their strength. I know I can't even do that. I haven't achieved it. And yet that is the first and greatest commandment. And I've failed. And Jesus went on, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, once, once again, this wasn't a new concept. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says exactly the same thing. Only it only applies to their fellow Jewish neighbour. The Leviticus law is all about love your fellow Jewish neighbour as yourself. But Jesus didn't. Jesus left that proviso out. He says, it's not only those who we are closest to that we have to love. It's not only those who are like us that we have to love. We need to love all people, all of them. Now, that's a pretty big challenge. That is an enormous challenge to love others as much as we love ourselves. Now, this is much bigger than, oh, I must leave that last piece of chocolate cake for someone else. It's much bigger than that. 
To love my neighbour as I love myself, that's enormous. It encompasses not doing the wrong thing to, to my neighbour, but it also includes doing the right thing for my neighbour. It's about relationship. It's about fairness. It's about generosity. It's about justice. It's also about giving hard love. You know, sometimes our neighbour needs help to stop being their own worst enemy. Sometimes it needs hard love. Which means, of course, that there's limits to how much we can love our neighbour because sometimes our neighbour doesn't want our love. We can try and show our love to someone. But how much we can give them will often depend on how much they're willing to accept. But the point is, all of the law and all of the prophets can be summed up in these two commandments. And the scribe saw the wisdom of this. Yeah, go Jesus. Well, that's not exactly what he said, but that's pretty much what he said. He said, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbour as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You know what? This bloke got it. And this is what Mark is revealing to us, that the prevailing attitude of all the religious leaders and political leaders was dead against Jesus. But there were a few who got it. In the Gospel of John, we hear about a bloke by the name of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee who came to Jesus in the dead of night and had a deep discussion with him. And Nicodemus turns up again at the end of the Gospel of John to embalm the body of Jesus after it was taken down from the cross. Nicodemus was someone who got it, even amongst the religious leaders. And this scribe is someone who got it, even though he is amongst the group that were rejecting him. And it's the same today. Many, many, many people will hear the word of God and most will reject it. But you know why we keep on preaching it? Because of the very few who will listen and because of the very few who will get it. And this scribe was one of those who got it and his understanding had depth to it. You know, what? When Jesus cursed the fig tree and it died a couple of chapter a chapter or two earlier, and, and when Jesus chased the traders out of the temple, and particularly when Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. If you can remember it back a few weeks when, when I gave the message on that, you'll remember that this was Jesus' condemnation that fruitless religion would not save them that their empty religious observances without demonstrating the fruit of righteousness would not save them. It was Jesus revealing that, that the temple sacrificial system was going to come to an end. It was going to end because they believed 
that by simply keeping the prescribed sacrifices, they could just go on willy-nilly doing whatever they liked, oppressing the widow and the orphan, lying, cheating and stealing and not caring for the foreigner and that they could come back again the next week, make their sacrifices again and they'd be all good with God again. And Jesus said, no. Look at the fig tree. It's fruitless. And he killed it. And that's what was going to happen with the temple sacrificial system. Because of fruitless religion, it was going to be done away with. And this scribe got this. What's the fruit? The fruit is to love God with all of your being and to love your neighbour like yourself. And he says that that is much better than sacrifices. He got it, didn't he? In the last two chapters of Mark, this is what Jesus has been teaching. This is what Jesus has been demonstrating. He even killed a fig tree to make his point. One scribe got it. One scribe. Verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, how, how do you take that statement? You're not far from the kingdom of God. Are you a glass half empty or a glass half full person? It's like, there's an affirmation there. Hey, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But, but what's that also saying? You're not there yet. You're not there yet. You're not far from it, but you're not there yet. I wonder what's missing. Surely you'd think that'd be enough to love the Lord your God with every fibre of your being and to love your neighbour as yourself. As yourself. Surely that's enough. No, it's not. That does away with the whole works-based being saved, doesn't it? Some people try to do one of those things. Like some people will reject God and they believe, you know, provided I live a good life, provided I love my neighbour as myself, I'll be right. No. Some people go for the other one. Some people have the attitude, because I'm saved by grace alone, I'll love God and it doesn't matter how I treat other people, he'll forgive me because he's a gracious God. No. Don't be deceived, it takes both. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us that the second commandment is like the first, and that tells us a lot, right? You cannot truly love God and at the same time not love your neighbour. You cannot truly love God and at the same time be treating your neighbour badly. If I truly love God with every fibre of my being, I'll love you too. If I don't, I don't really love God at all. But even that doesn't get me across the line. You're not far from the kingdom of God, but you're not there yet. Sometimes I find myself wishing that we didn't have the little headings that we do in our Bibles. 
God didn't put the headings in our Bibles. That's something that man has done. And I know why we've done it. It, it helps us to navigate our way around and we read the heading, oh, okay, that's what that's about and that's what that's about. And it helps me to find the bit that I'm looking for. But in my Bible at this point, there's a little heading there that says, whose son is the Christ? Now, there, there's nothing wrong with that heading. It's actually a pretty good heading. It shows me that this next little section is going to be discussed in there. There's nothing wrong with it. Apart from the fact that often when we read the scriptures, we go, we'll, we'll just read to the next heading. And think, okay, all my answers are, are there and that bit. And now I'll, when I want to study the next bit, it'll be this bit. We sort of think, okay, the, the, the lesson is finished at this point, but it's not. It continues on. Because we find that the scribe isn't far from the kingdom of God, but he's not there yet. Does it end there? No, it doesn't. Verse 34 ends by saying, and after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Verse 35 begins by saying, and, uh, and is a conjunction. It joins things together, doesn't it? You know how the word and works. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, all right, so what's happened is Jesus has been getting questioned and now the question's finished and he moves to teaching. What do you think Jesus might be teaching us? Do you think that perhaps he might be teaching us what that missing element is? Yes, he is. What's wrong with the scribe? What's wrong with his theology that he's not there yet? Well, what's wrong is that when it comes to the Messiah, the scribes expected that the Messiah was going to be subordinate to David, right? King David was the great king that they're expecting and the Messiah was going to be subordinate to him. What was missing is the fact that the Messiah is Lord. Even David, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, knew that the Messiah is his Lord. Jesus said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Now, let's go to Psalm 110. That's the psalm that Jesus was quoting. It's a psalm of David where this is quoted from. The Lord says to my Lord. That, that sounds confusing, doesn't it? But you notice that the words Lord there are written differently. The first Lord is written how? It's in all capitals. So what's a real Hebrew word there? God's personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh says to my Lord. Now, how's that word Lord written? Capital L, little O-R-D. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Little Lord, which means Adonai, which means Lord. Right? So Yahweh says to my Lord, who's, who's my? Well, that's David. 
So Yahweh says to David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus's point is David himself calls him Lord. So how can he be David's son? Jesus is correcting the scribes' view of the Christ. The Christ, the Messiah, is Lord. They believed that the Christ is the son of David, but whose son is he really? He's the son of God. And, and that's the whole purpose of the Gospel of Mark. It began in the first sentences of the Gospel as it introduced it. This Gospel is about revealing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the whole purpose of this gospel. So we asked what was missing. The scribe was near to the kingdom of God, but he wasn't there. What extra thing was missing? Well, it wasn't an extra thing at all. It's the essential element of faith. It's the essential element required to enter the kingdom of God, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not David's son, but the son of God. So what did Jesus teach us today? There is one God and one God alone. The most important commandment that this God has given us is to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. That means to love him with every fibre of our being, everything we think, do and say, everything we achieve, everything that we have. And to love our neighbour as ourselves. But even if I could do all that and never fail, which I can't, some of you might be able to achieve it better than me, but you still can't do a lot of it. But even if we could there still remains one essential element. How can I truly love God if I don't recognise that his son, Jesus Christ, is Lord? This is where faith begins. Many people are happy to have, have faith in some kind of concept of faith in some kind of God. You know, in our culture, spirituality is a thing. As long as they get to choose that, what they're going to be spiritual about. Many people are, are willing to believe in some kind of God. But not many are willing to recognise that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that Jesus is Lord. Many strive and hope to receive the kingdom of God by loving God in their own way or by trying to be a good person and loving their neighbour in their own way. Some people even try to do both of these. And that's a pride thing. They, they want to try and do it on their own terms. They want to do it their own way. But Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of God. And if you haven't already given your heart to Jesus, I invite you, no, I more than invite you, I urge you, I plead with you to give your heart to Jesus today. How can I be saved? 
Well, it begins by recognising that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of sin. Tell God that you're sorry for everything you've done wrong. Tell him that you're sorry for trying to do things your own way. Tell him you're sorry for not, rec not recognising him as the one true God. Tell him you're sorry that because you haven't loved him with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. Tell him you're sorry because you've been rejecting his son. But repentance is more than just being sorry. As one little child once said, Repentance is being sorry enough to stop. And so we repent of sin and we hand our lives over to Jesus. And then we're ready to live as God would have us live, to love him with every fibre of our being, keeping nothing back and loving my neighbour because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, and we mean that with, with every fine definition of what those terms mean. You are Lord. You are our Lord. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one, the only begotten son of the one true God. Lord Jesus Christ, we render ourselves to you. You are the Lord. You created us and you died for us. You redeemed us. You bought us back again. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we have sinned against you. Even the most simplest and the greatest commandment we have broken. Over and over again, we've broken it. We have not loved you with our whole heart, soul, mind and strength. We, we have not loved others as ourselves. God, forgive us. Lord, help us from, from this day forth to be the children that you've saved us to be. Help us to be people who love you with every fibre of our being because we've been forgiven. Help us to be people who love our neighbour as ourselves because you've taken up residence in our heart and you're changing us to become like you. You're changing us to become a people who love you and who love others. Lord, we ask that you would not only welcome us into the kingdom of God, but that you would build us into your kingdom kingdom of your saints on this earth as we live as your disciples in this community. In Jesus' name. Amen.